It's, uh, I really appreciate Max today for uh, sporting the Dolphins gear, right? Let's give Max a hand, you know? I appreciate that. That's a, that's a lot of boldness there. Um, we, uh, you know, um, we, uh, we might have a Bills fan in this room today. And so, uh, so I just want to make everybody aware of that. Um, but, uh, you know, we say everybody belongs here, except Bill's fans. All right? So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, it's a losing battle right now. My son, he plays Madden, and he's always the Bills lately. Um, so uh, I, I've got to work on that kid. But, um, but I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing a little bit out of God's Word and, uh, and looking at this beautiful book of Titus. We started it last week. And... Um, and so if you missed last week, go back and check out the, uh, the, the sermon that's there. It's on YouTube. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background as we get started today. But, but Titus is a really cool book. And I love it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's only three chapters. All right? So you can read it very, very quickly. Uh, I got to listen to it this morning. I, I like the shorter books because you really get it really connected in it. It's, it's uh, very edible in a sense. Also, Titus, I think, is highly, highly practical. It's a book that really teaches us about Christian living. And uh, I want today that you're going to notice as we read this text that the text is very focused on a smaller group of people. But I want us to look at it as really all of us, there's something here for each one of us. And today we're really going to focus on this subject of leadership. Now, you look back over your life and you probably can point to really good leaders that you've had. I mean, people that made a, a huge impact in your life, that, that motivated you and pushed you to something better, that you learned from, that you were challenged by, that you had a relationship that was really healthy. At the same time, you and all of us know that there's also bad leaders. There's people that um, have been in your life and whether it was a boss or a teacher or uh, a minister or a parent, any of those things, we've all had examples of bad leaders as well. And we look back and I, I think sometimes uh, leaders get revered and I think sometimes we're resistant to leaders, all right, depending on, on how they are or sort of our baggage as we bring it into a relationship. And today what I want us to look at is this little section in Titus which shows us what good leadership should be, what good leadership can be. And it's going to focus on elders, but I want us to look at it in a little bit more of a broad sense. Because everything that's mentioned here are really marks of being a believer, marks of being a Christian. And if you rarely come to church or you come to church every week, I think you're going to see something that's highly practical. But I want us to see even a step further. I want us to see God's heart what he designed the church to be, what it, what it can be, what it should be, what its design is to be in a really kind, a really welcoming, a really challenging, all right, place of health and of life. So we look at it today, and, and just to go over a little bit from last week, this letter was written to a guy named Titus who was living on an island off of the coast of Greece called Crete. Now, Crete, I, you know, you think of a Greek island, it's got to be cool, right? That just sounds like a, a place to vacation or something. But at this time, the more you dig into what Crete was like, 
the more that you see, this was not a, uh, a very upstanding kind of place. Let me read to you just a few things that, that were said about the people on this island, okay? First off, from uh, Polybus, he said this, um, before Paul wrote it, but he says this, impossible to find conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than those people in Crete. Cicero said this about Crete, moral principles are so divergent that those in Crete consider highway robbery honorable. I mean, if you're from Crete today, I want to go ahead and apologize, you know, I am sorry, you know. But Paul says it here too. If you go to verse 12 in Titus chapter 1, this is what Paul writes. This is God's word. It says this, even one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true. I mean, this is like, I, I mean, talk about turning your audience off before you start, right? Crete was really made up of, a, of a, a large sort of idea. The culture was very much about self. It was about satisfying oneself. And if you, if you were able to get ahead by the expense of another person, by all means, do it. All right? And this is the place that Paul is writing to this guy in Timothy, who's probably a little bit concerned about the place he's now working at. And he sees here, this is his job, is to provide leadership to, to this group of people. There had to be a change. So I want us to dig into scripture today. Let's look at what God's word says of this really important, very short letter written to Titus about how the church should look in a place like Crete. Let's look Titus chapter 1. We'll start at verse 5. 5 is going to be really important to us today. This is God's word. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the, the picture and the honesty of the people of Creed. And Father, how you work in us as people. Father, the culture of Crete, as we understand it, has many similarities even to our own. And Father, ask today that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be opened. Like, what is godly leadership? How is the church supposed to be? Lord, how can we as a community, as a family, a spiritual family, you've brought together, how can we be a place of protection, of hope, of security, of dignity, Father, of challenge and of honesty to our world? 
Lord, help us first today to be honest with ourselves. And we ask all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You look at this godly leadership idea, and I, I want everybody to take something from this today. What is it to be a leader? I think you have a lot of information that's here. Titus is told these are the kind of people that you're going to be looking for and these are the people that essentially are going to represent, this is going to be the leaders of the church all over the island of Crete. One thing that Homer wrote about Crete is that it was literally hundreds and hundreds of cities. So Titus has an absolutely daunting task to go out to all of those places and be putting people and specific people in places of leadership all around. Today what I want to do is I really want to understand Titus's mission first. So if you're taking notes and you, you, you want to know what Titus's mission is, it's going to be in verse 5. But I also want you to see how Titus is told how to select people. First off, you see leadership is going to start in the home. It's going to be a major thing that the community is going to recognize. And then finally today, I want to see about the personal life of what a leader and, and who they should be. All right? And you see all of these things, and I realized right off the top, as soon as I read it, you notice that this is the exact opposite of the way these philosophers and Paul talk about Crete. Everything that God says to do, they're not doing. And everything God says don't do, it seems like Crete is sort of embracing as good. I thought that's so much like our culture today, right? Isn't it an embracing of everything that God says is not good for us? And essentially, I want us to connect in a way where we're challenged, each one of us, to look deeply in ourselves. But first, we have to understand Titus's mission. Let's look at verse 5 again. It says this, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. So if you look at that word straightened, I want to really key in on that word. In Greek, it's actually the word that we get the, the, our idea of orthopedics or orthodontist from. Okay, ortho means to take what's crooked and to make it straight. Okay, um, several years ago, uh, my son Stephen was playing football in, uh, in a stadium in Hialeah and he went to make this tackle, and this massive um, offensive lineman came down on the back of his legs, and he had a, a torn ACL. His MCL was messed up, his meniscus in three places, and we started a long process of rehab. So he goes to UM, and uh, he gets a surgery done by Dr. Kaplan, and I mean, his leg was a mess. And you know what? Dr. Kaplan put everything back together right using all of this science and the gift and artistry of an orthopedic surgeon and my son's back out playing football again. All right, what he loves. You see, you think about what an orthopedic surgeon does. They take what's crooked, they take what's broken and they put it back together. And see, this is what is happening here in this passage. This is Titus's mission. He was supposed to go out and there's a crooked or there's a broken community and Titus is supposed to go and, and start to see it mend, see it change, see it transform into what it could, should be, and what was good for people. He was literally sort of the orthopedic of the, the church at this time. He was supposed to go in and take what was crooked and make it straight. 
So you see here, this is going to be his mission, but God calls very specific kinds of leaders to do this kind of work. It's, it's not just anybody, but it's people that have a certain set of, of qualities, a certain uh, character quality set, and people who are growing, people who are changing. I look at that list of things that it says, not given to alcohol, not, uh, not ill-tempered, uh, not violent, not all of these things. And you see, this is a really, really high bar. I mean, a really high bar is set. And one theologian named John Stott wrote about this, and he said, really, nobody meets this qualification. But the idea here is that that's, this is the way you're growing. This is sort of the, the um, if, if it's a public testimony or your reputation, this is the way that you're heading. The idea of being blameless is that nothing sticks to you, all right? An accusation can be proven to not be true. It's a way of life that is aimed and directed that has been changed and transformed by what Christ does in someone's heart. Now, today I want to be careful. I don't want us to look and say, okay, here's this list. These are all things I've got to do, and, and that be the end of it. This isn't a works-based sermon. What this is, is this is about a transformed heart by Christ that sees the opportunity, sees that they're motivated, and strength comes from, from God in each one of our lives to grow closer and more like Him by the gifting and the movement and the work of, his, of Him in our lives. So I want to look at it today, and I want to look first that leadership starts in the house. Now, there's two things that come out of Scripture here. The first is this. He says, husband of one wife, all right? And then he talks about parenting, okay? So let's start at the first part, which is husband of one wife. Now, what it's saying here is really a push at purity. See, leaders are ones that should be striving for purity in their lives, they see that there's a world of temptation. And I would say today, we probably have more of that than even the, the, the people in Crete had. All right? We've got stuff that you can access on your phone so quickly, so fast, that God never designed us to be viewing or taking part in. There's a call for us to be pure people. And the idea of husband of one wife doesn't mean that, that, that this type of leader had to be married. What it was was about the heart attitude. The heart aim wasn't at self-pleasure, but rather saw that God had called a person to purity. So leaders start at home in relationships. And secondly, it talks about parenting. And it says their, their parent, the kids should be under control. They're, they shouldn't be wild, you know? They shouldn't be like hobbit demons, I guess. I don't know. But the point here is about, listen, the way that you run your home, the way that you treat your children is important to God. And I think there's an epidemic of sorts of distracted parenting. I, I'm tempted with it for sure. Absent parenting, all right? And the idea was, if you were really connected, if you were really present in your house, and obviously no parent is perfect in any way, but if you are present and you're moving and you're really trying, you know, you're, you're, you're really seeking out God, Lord, how do I do this? I mean, kids do not come with manuals of this is how you do it, all right? It is a lot of trial and error, and it's a struggle. And each one of us knows that have children, you know, these things can be complicated. But there's something about that, that God aims, and, and, and Paul does such a special job here of, of aiming at Titus, 
is to get us to think. All right, leadership really starts at home. The way that we care for our family is, is very reflective of how God is working in our lives. And no parent is perfect. We all are challenged. And it's a difficult thing. But I see leadership in the home when you talk about marriage and you talk about children is very much about repentance. All right? It's being honest that we don't have it all together, that it is a struggle. Uh, I took a lot of classes when I went to counseling school about parenting. And I can tell you, I've pretty much come to the, uh, to the realization that, you know what, this is just hard, all right? It's complicated sometimes. But you know what, you see a softening of the way that God works in us, that God calls us to be leaders. And part of that being a leader is also seeking out repentance. When we do things wrong, one of the most powerful things that I remember my, my dad doing was when he said he was wrong. All right? And seeking out forgiveness. Those things are huge. Those things are where you don't have to pretend that you have it and you're perfect and all those things. I remember watching Happy Days when I was a kid and remember the Fonz, all right? And I'm like super old now. Everybody's like, you know, I see the people nodding at me or, you know. But he could never admit that he was wrong, all right? And he would say, I'm, you know, he just couldn't get the word wrong out. And I think it's such a temptation for us as people is that sometimes we just can't admit that we're wrong, all right, that we struggle. But one of the most effective ways I think that leadership happens at home is when we can be honest and we can admit that we're not right. We can stop blaming other people. We can stop making excuses and stop being a victim, but we can be honest about our own struggles as people. Leadership starts at home. The second thing I want you to see is that leadership starts in the community, all right? You look down a few verses here in verse 8. It says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, I think each one of those could easily be a weak sermon, all right? You could do a weak sermon very much on discipline and, and, and holiness and all of these kinds of things. And I, I really kind of wanted to focus on one, that first one, hospital, hospital, hospitality, sorry, all right? Hospitality. Now, a lot of times, what comes first to your mind when you think of hospitality, all right? You think about having people over for dinner, right? But it's usually, and when I think of hospitality, it's usually like friends, okay? My wife is incredibly good at being hospitable, all right? It is like her superpower is to invite people, and she loves doing it. We have like lots of plates, different kinds of plates, you know, and it always looks cool, all right? Well, let me tell you, that's really more like friendship or fellowship or something along those lines. The idea of being hospitable and that Greek word refers to something outside of your group, all right? The idea of being hospitable is actually inviting the stranger in, okay? And it's not relegated just to your house. It's really more of a way of life, okay? So a leader is called to be hospitable. When Paul writes to Titus, he's saying, look for people that are hospitable, people that see the outsider, the, the stranger, and invite the stranger in. And the stranger is welcomed. It's a care about another human being that is, has an eternal soul. It's care and dignity for someone who's made in God's image. And I think when you start to think like that and see that leadership is about being hospitable, you see a real aim and a thrust that Paul is giving to Titus here. And he's saying, 
You don't just go to the people that's easy for you to be around. You see the need. You see, you, you see the mission. You see the opportunity. And you see this, that God in, his, in the way that he has chosen to work is through us in the places that God has put us. And I think of uh, a story that I heard a little while ago, and it, it was by an author. Her name is Rosaria uh, Champagne um, Butterworth, all right? Kind of a cool name, right? I, I miss Butterworth, right? Okay, so she wrote a book that was so interesting, all right? And she talks a little bit. She was a professor at Syracuse University, and um, some neighbors of hers started inviting her over. And she realized right away they were, they were Christians, all right? And she decided she didn't really want to be friends with them, but she said they had decided to be friends with her. And so when, they, when she was out of town, they took care of her dog, all right? When, um, when she was ill, they brought over food, all right? They weren't the kind of people that showed genuine interest and care about her as a person. And one day, they shared with her their faith. And it was such a beautiful thing because they had had time to know each other. They had, had been, she had been welcomed. She had been encouraged. She had been loved. And all of these things... And here was a, this couple that had reached outside, outside of their comfort zone, to welcome someone in, all right? Let me tell you something. That is Christian leadership. That is kindness. And Rosaria wrote an interesting book. She said, the gospel comes with house keys, all right? And she said this. I thought it was really, really special. She says, do you realize that God never makes a mistake with your address, all right? And basically, it was a huge poignant sort of uh, thought about neighboring, that God put you in the place that you're at, in the neighborhood that you're at, with people that you have an opportunity to love and to serve. And you know what? You can tell them you're a Christian too later, all right? Once they know you care about them, all right? It's a huge opportunity, and I see this coming out very much in this passage, being hospitable, caring about the outsider, all right? Because think of this. In the gospel, each one of us is an outsider, all right? It's God that does the work. It's not us that we can get closer to him or we can buy his affection or anything like that. No, what did he do? When we were far away, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. And he took the outsider and he gave us the ability and the opportunity to be part of the family. See, when, you, when we talk about Christian leadership, we talk about what it means to be a leader, all right? It starts at home. I see the beauty of family coming out of that, all right? It happens in the community when people realize that you care about them, that you're, you're, you, you see beauty, you see opportunity, you see the value and worth in people. And I think a lot of times in a busy city like ours, it's easy, really, really easy to really not like people all right, and show them absolutely the worst, okay? And I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a threat, it's difficult for all of us, just as much as it is to be a parent or a spouse or a friend, to be in a relationship, all of those things. It's complicated for us, and I think it really takes some time to get down to what the gospel really is, that we were the outsider. Why wouldn't we care about the outsider? Because it's us that have been redeemed. So I see the beauty of that coming. And imagine, imagine if people cared, if people acted like Titus 1 says. All right? What if people did that? He says, be hospitable. 
He goes a little bit further, and and Titus, these are the kind of people you're supposed to look for. One who loves what is good, all right? Loves what is good. You know, you look at at Scripture, and you really sort of, of think about it for a second. The things that God tells you not to do, you realize that it's loving for God to tell us not to do things? It's his love. I mean, I tell my children not to do things because I love them. And my heavenly father tells me not to do things because he loves me. He cares about me. And he sets those parameters around. A lover of what is good is somebody who loves what God loves. And that's the kind of person that Titus is supposed to look for. That's the kind of person that changes and has an opportunity to see God transform lives. You look a little bit further there, it says this, not quick-tempered, not overbearing, they must be blameless, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. You look at those things right there, and you really see something come out. I I I think you really see something, because it helps you to see what a bad leader is, okay? All right? Someone who's after themselves, it's all about them, that sort of a narcissism of types where uses um, other people for their benefit. All right? That's not a leader. That's not a healthy person. All right? Clearly not who God designed us to be or to follow. But you look even deeper here, and I was challenged. These are things all of us struggle with. In this list, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but anger is something a lot of us struggle with. All right? Alcohol is so easy. You can change your mood pretty quickly. But clearly it's saying here, this isn't good for us. And I was so challenged personally, and it led me to a point of repentance to say, like, yes, these things, I, these are things we all struggle with. These are things that I struggle with. But God calls us to something different. All right? And he reaches, I think, in such a way when you really see it, it's the, the perfect loving father who says, these things aren't good. These things aren't good. And you see the reason I believe such a high bar is set on what a leader should be at in church, what, what, a, what a Christian leader should be, because God values you. God cares about you. This is supposed to be a place of protection, a place of purity, uh, a, a place of safety. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to look like Crete, all right? It's not supposed to look like the culture. What it's supposed to look like is the way God designed his family to be protected and loved. And we need to make sure that this place is a place of hope, of security, of dignity, and respect, but also of challenge and reminder that God has called us to things, that God tells us things. See, this isn't Paul's model for Christian leadership. He wrote this. But he wrote it as God gave him the words. So don't look at Paul and say, Paul, look at all these things you write to us. This isn't fair. Paul doesn't like uh, groups of people or Paul doesn't. No, this is God's model. This is what he gives to us. And I think it encourages each one of us to say, how can we be submissive? How can we be loving? How can we be obedient to what God has called us to? He cares so much for us. So you see, leadership starts in the home. It's, it's evident, I believe, in a community setting. And finally, I want us to see the personal life, a personal connection to this. I, I already mentioned how important, how important um, repentance is, but I want to go back one time because I think the scripture is the part that we really need to take with us. So let's, let's go back to it here. Let's look what he says. Since an overseer, this is verse 7, 
is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. There's also a personal inventory piece to this. I think it, it really makes us have to look internally. I mean, we're very, very predisposed to look externally, but it aims us, I think, to look inside. And you start to look, and, and the question becomes like, you know, motivations for things that we do. Why do we do things that we do? Are we cognizant? Are we aware of things? Because if it says that a leader shouldn't be someone who's after dishonest gain, I think it makes us have to look inside, like, what is my motivation in doing things? And you know what? If that motivation is changed to say, how do I a conduit of God's grace in the world? That's life-giving. That's life-changing. That's, that's where people feel and can be connected with in the purest of ways that God has set aside for us. See, leadership happens at home and community, but it's something that is something that we're a part of, I think, daily. Martin Luther had this beautiful uh, letter that he wrote, his barber, and I was uh, reading this a little while ago. If you ever get a chance, it's like the simple way to pray. And one thing that Martin Luther said is he starts every morning, once he's awake enough, he would pray. And before he went to bed, as he could feel like the, 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 the sleep start to come on, I'm paraphrasing for Martin Luther here, all right, he would, um, he would pray again because he wanted his day to start with it and he wanted it to end with it. And I think there's something for us here there. And here in scripture, it tells us that this person holds firmly to the trustworthy message. How can you hold firmly to something you don't even know? I think there's an aim here that says for each one of us, we got to dig in. We got to know what God has called us to, all right? Because every relationship grows when there's communication, all right? When, when you know about the other person. And here I think God is reaching out to each one of us saying, I want you to know me and I want to know you, all right? Obviously, God knows us perfectly, but there's a calling to be in deeper relationships. So when Titus goes out, this is what the church is supposed to look like. This is the place of safety. This is what leaders should look like. And every single one of you is a leader. God has called you to the places you are at. I love the beauty of the address thing, right? Clearly, your neighborhood is a place God has called you to, all right? God didn't get surprised and figure out later on where you lived, all right? The place that you have a job, all right? The friends that God has put in your life, all right? The people you work with. And on and on and on. When you see that, I think it opens us up for an opportunity to see, I am uniquely positioned exactly where God wants me. All right? You see it as the opportunity. Um, a few years ago, and I didn't ask him if I could say this, but um, a few years ago, I was lifting something at my house, and um, my back went out. I mean, major. And I had an MRI, you know, all these things happened, and was, the discs were all messed up, and I could hardly walk. I mean, it was terrible. I, I found that the only place I could be comfortable with was with a bunch of pills and on, the, on my couch. That was the only place. And one day, um, Mr. Kaplan over here came, and he worked on my back in my office. 
And all of a sudden, I could kind of walk again. And I was like, uh, where, where do you work again? You know, like, hey, he's a physical therapist at Baptist. So I, I started to drive all the way out to West Kendall Baptist. For, he had an office that was out there. And he worked and he worked. And I realized something when I was doing this is what he was doing was making what was crooked in my back straight. All right? And you know what? Life came back. All right? It was, it was no fun um, with sciatica all the time and, and being missing everything that I love to do with my kids and, and just being mobile. He was putting everything back. Things were getting realigned. And I look at these verses and I think, do you realize it, it, there's a little bit of that illustration that I take and I want to encourage you with. Do you realize that w- the world that is broken, Jesus comes into to make straight to give the opportunity for belief, to be in family, to be in community, that our, that our homes are different, that our lives, our personal lives are different, the way we treat other people is different. See, he comes and he makes what's crooked straight. And interestingly enough, as Christians, it's our job as well. It's our opportunity. We have freedom. We have freedom to bring life. And so today I want to encourage you with this. Each one of you knows brokenness. You know it personally. You know it in your family of origin or the home that you are in right now. You know it in the community. All those things are pretty obvious. And I want to encourage you with this today. Be a leader. Be one that cares, that doesn't see the crooked as something you turn your back on, but that you're active and that you know the freedom that it is to have a relationship with God and a relationship with others doesn't seek after itself. It's not about self-gain, not about violence or anger or alcohol, any of those things, but it's a place of health, a place of hope, a future, security, peace, challenge, obedience, and love. And you know what? When you reflect on God's grace in your life, I think it gives you the freedom and the opportunity to realize, I want to share that same grace with others. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for your mercy and grace in our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful uh, short book, three chapters that we're able to read pretty easily and the way that it aims us at a Christian life. Lord, may the Christian community be one of safety, of protection, of purity and honesty. Father, each one of us struggles. Father, we have the freedom to seek forgiveness. Just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Father, you have paid that debt that we couldn't pay. And Father, we're grateful. Lord, help us to be the same in the world, the city, the home, and our personal lives with ourselves. Father, to seek forgiveness and hope. And we ask these things in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.